to you or for you in this sense this morning is to talk to you about something my God has shared with me. I'm going to share with you about how it was for me as a campus minister feeling all alone at Kentucky State University. Yeah, believe it or not, a 36-year-old man who ministers to college students and faculty members can come to a point in his own life knowing the Bible, reading the 66 books of the Bible, knowing biblical and systematic theology. Yes, even this man who has a loving wife and loving children, a home and a car, this man could get to a point in his life where he feels all alone. And that's what happened to me a little while back when I was in my office at Kentucky State University. I felt all alone a campus that was full crowded with people. How many of y'all know it's terrible to feel alone when you're in a crowded room? But it can happen. And so what happened to me was I found myself feeling alone. And and God, by his grace, said, Curtis, when you feel alone, the first thing you need to do is you need to understand that if you're going to come out of this stupor or this depression, you need to understand that the only thing that can bring you out when you feel left out is coming into my presence and hearing from me. I I was glad about it because the more I read the Bible, the more I discovered that I wasn't the only person who felt alone. Started reading in the Bible, learned about a man by the name of Joseph. Anybody know Joseph? Joseph was locked up and he went literally from prison to a palace. But before he got to the palace, he was in a dungeon in a prison cell and he had a conversation with some people. He had a conversation with a butcher. He had a conversation with a baker. And he had a conversation with these individuals and told them a dream that they were having having that was causing a lot of pain in their life. Joseph interpreted the dream for these men. And he told them, he says, listen, here's what's going to happen in your dream. You do this. God's going to restore you. And once you are restored, I want you to remember me. This is what Joseph said. Read Genesis and you'll get excited about the story. But Joseph tells this man that this is going to happen in your life. To the other, he says, well, the reality is once you get free, um, you're going to be hanged. And they're going to chop your head off. How many of y'all know we're not looking for, uh, you know, prophets like that, right? We want a prophet to tell us, uh, you're going to get that new car. You, you in the prayer line, next thing you know, hey, hey, what is it for me? I'm waiting, I'm waiting. You know, you, you ready to hear yours? Y'all know what I'm saying. Hey, you, you ready, ching to hear yours? And, and then the next thing you know, they say to you when you're you waiting on those, ching and, and they say, well, your head's going to get chopped, chopped off. Now, you're not excited now, are you? You'd be like, oh, no, that ain't, that ain't for me. That ain't God. God ain't in that one. God ain't in that one, Pastor. And so this true prophet of God speaks the truth of God. And he tells them that. But he says, he says when you are released, the person who's going to live says, remember me. You read the story, you find out that he was forgotten in that dungeon. If you don't want to read the story, just watch that little DreamWorks movie, Joseph, because it's nice, too. My sons and I have watched that. And so there he felt alone. He felt alone. And Jeremiah chapter 20 also felt alone. All these individuals felt alone. And Elijah now in 1 Kings chapter 19 feels alone as well. He feels alone because you have to understand that whenever there is a mountaintop, everybody say mountaintop. Whenever there's a mountaintop experience, I need you to understand that in life, if you are on the mountaintop, 
be ready for the valley. Because if you're on the mountaintop all the time, that means that you're probably not growing as much as you need to grow as a Christian. Do y'all hear what I'm saying? See, see, to be on the mountaintop all the time means that you're dead. Do y'all hear what I'm saying? Because only seeing Jesus will we ultimately be on the mountaintop all the time. Somebody said, I'm trying to live my best life now. I said, well, if, that, if you're living your best life now, that means you're going to hell. Are, are y'all hearing what I'm saying? I'm just trying to help you think through this. Because it's true now, if you're living your best life now, then you're on your way to hell. Because I've heard that when I get there and I see him, I'm going to become just like him because I shall see him as he is. I'm just talking about 1 John 3, 2. So in the Bible, you experience that the mountaintop is always married to the valley. So thank God for the mountaintop, but be careful lest you want to stay there and then you try to avoid the valley. Because the valley is where we learn from God. The valley is where we can become better and not bitter. And if you're in college for any amount of time as a campus pastor, I'm telling you, you're going to experience the valley. It will happen in your life. But that's all right because I got good news for you that even though you are in the midst of a valley, you're in the midst of depression, you're in the midst of despondency. I got good news for you that God is there even when you feel like he's silent. Because when you read the Bible, you discover that when God is silent, he's often doing his best work. I feel like going to Jesus, but we need to walk through 1 Kings and then we can end with Jesus. Is that all right? So in 1 Kings chapter 19 now, you can see Elijah who just left a triumphant experience in chapter 18. Quick story, Elijah in chapter 17, three, three movements, chapter 17, he talks to a woman. Talks to a widow woman and he tells her because there's a desert, there's a famine in the land because there's a major drought. Elijah says, listen, woman, I need you to feed me. Feed me before you feed yourself and your dying son, and I'll take care of this situation. The woman who fears Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God of Israel, says to the prophet of God in that text, I'll do it. She feeds Elijah, and God takes care of the situation by his miraculous power. And she ultimately takes care of Elijah and God, by his grace, takes care of her over and over and over again. Now, hear me now. That was in the text. I'm not trying to manipulate you. I'm not asking you to take care of me after this is over. Do y'all hear me? Let's keep it real, preacher. But in the text, we see that. And then in chapter 18, you see Elijah, Elijah, whose name literally in Hebrew, Elijah, his name means Yahweh is God. That's what his name means. Yahweh, El, Yahweh is God. Elijah, Jah is the diminutive form for Yahweh, which is the covenant-keeping God of Israel. When you read Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, you'll see the I am that I am. Oh, that's Yahweh. It means he keeps his covenant. And so when God makes a promise, he's going to bring that thing to pass. Now, I don't know how promise breakers have been in your life, but God is not a promise breaker. He's a promise maker and a promise keeper. And so now Elijah now, his name, Yahweh is my God, Yahweh is God, is telling these people, these 850 prophets of Baal, he tells them, listen, your God is fake, 
Your God is false. Your God is not a God. And he stands up against them and ultimately has 850 false prophets of Baal in chapter 18 killed at the word of the Lord. Do y'all hear what I'm saying? These 850 false prophets are slew. They are slain because of the word of the prophet. Yes, sir. So, so I think after that sermon, he was on a high. That was a good message. <laughs> Everybody was on his side doing that message. But, but the next message that he received in chapter 19 that you read, it said that the woman who ultimately worshipped Baal and her husband Ahab who worshipped Baal, this false god called Baal, this woman said, I'm going to do to you, Elijah, exactly what you did to my 850 false prophets before sundown. She said, 24 hours and you're dead. And this prophet who was just on a mountaintop experience, I mean, it was all right. Everybody was rocking together, locked up. Everybody was excited. They were locked up and looking up, right? And so the next thing you know, they're all excited about this thing. And the next thing you know, they're in the valley. Here he is in the valley. And right there in the valley, what does he ask in verse 4? This woman said, I'm going to kill you. In verse 3, look at your Bibles. He says there, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. Because why? Verse 3 told us he was afraid. He got up and he ran for his life, right? It says, and he came and sat down under a juniper tree and requested for himself that he might die. And said, it is enough now, O Lord, take my life. For I am better than my, I am not better than my fathers. Well, what's the first thing he asked for? He said, Lord, what? Y'all talk to me now. He said, Lord, what? Come on now, make that thing ebonic. He said, Lord, what? Kill me. Y'all can keep it real with the brother. He said, Lord, just kill me. I, 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 I have done what you asked in chapter 18. I did what you said in 17. And now this woman says that I'm going to be killed at the end of the day. And I'm afraid for my life. He said, God, I thought you were the God of covenant. He said, I thought my name meant Yahweh's God. I thought you were the one who kept your covenant. And now this woman is going to take me out before nightfall. Can y'all see Elijah? See, that's. That's humanity. That, that's honesty. And that's the beauty about the Bible. When you read the Bible, you're dealing with an honest book. That's why I love reading it. Because in it now, Elijah shows us something and the Holy Spirit teaches us something. The first thing he says to us is that you need to learn to wait on the Lord before you evaluate your life. Did y'all hear what I said? You need to learn to wait on the Lord before you evaluate your life. You say, well, what do I mean by that? Notice now, remember, starts with a mountaintop, but when you get in the valley, don't start seeing your whole life as a valley-like situation. Remember, the valley is for development. But the beauty about development is that the valley is a process that you must go through. Not, not sit in. The valley is something that ultimately you walk through. You walk through the valley. You don't live in the valley. You don't dance in the valley. You don't sit down in the valley. You don't break your neck in the valley. In the valley, you walk through the valley. Yea, though I walk. 
That, that's what it said. Through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You walk through the valley. Am I right about it? So now if you walk through the valley, then that means when you're in the valley, that's not time to try to evaluate your life or your God. Because that's a dangerous time to start evaluating God when you're in the valley. Oh, I wish I had time to talk to you about all the theological construals. Amen. I like the option. That, that Oakley mess up when they try to think about God when they're in the midst of the valley. Next thing you know, God is, is not a God who knows the future. He's just guessing at you, guessing at the future with you. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I'm here with you. I'm a good friend. I'm like, oh, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Get up my arm. I thought you were God. I can, I can go with my frat brothers. They don't know what's going to happen tomorrow either. We just walk in and that. Hey, man, what's up, bro? Not much. They, they don't know. But my God actually knows what's going to happen tomorrow. So now when you're in the valley, theologically speaking, that means that here's what we have to do. We have to appeal to who God is while we're in the midst of the valley. Somebody told me that God is omniscient. He, he's all-knowing, right? Somebody told me God is omnipotent. He's always full of power, right? Somebody told me that God is omnipresent. He's the ever-present God, always present, everywhere present. God is, amen? So if that's true then, then that means that when I'm in the valley, Elijah, Curtis, when you're in the valley, you have to appeal to God, not to your situation. So, so in the valley, then what that means is that I serve a God who's all-knowing. He's our He dwells outside of time, but he's omnitemporal, Pastor. That means he comes in the time. Oh, what does that look like? If I serve a God who's atemporal, he dwells outside of time, but he's also omnitemporal, he, he can tiptoe into time. Let me show you what it looks like in your life. We're in the valley, but we're sitting down. Uh, no, we're not. No, we're in the valley, we, we got a neck broke in the valley. No, 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 it's not, my, neck not, my, my neck's not broke in the valley. You with me, KSU? So now here we go, KSU. We're walking through the valley, and you and I in the valley, and we appeal to God who's omnitemporal, he's, he's all throughout time, but he's atemporal, he dwells outside of time. And this God, now I'm talking to him in the valley because I'm walking. I say, God, you know what, it's tough right now in my life. Yes, sir. feel yes, all sir. alone, nobody wants to encourage me. On this campus, I see thousands of students, they're going buck wild. I know, I know better, Lord. But God, honestly, in my flesh, I want to get buck wild too. I'm going to keep it real with you. I know you know me. And then God comes and he speaks to you in that situation. But God hears you clearly. And God lets you know I'm not like one of your friends or your frats or your sorority sisters. He says, I actually know what's going to happen tomorrow. So he says, here's what I do for you as you worry about tomorrow. I'm going to enter into tomorrow. Fix the situations in tomorrow. Step back into today and then walk you safely into tomorrow. Somebody can see God now. But if I spend time talking to the bros, I might be just broke, busted, and disgusted. I ain't messing with you fellas. I'm just glad you're here, amen? And so the reality is, it's like, this is what we see when we see our God. So Elijah now is in a situation. He's running away. But here's the beauty about God's love. Does Elijah run to God or does he run from God? Stay with the prepositions. Y'all talk to me so I can get some water. Does he, does he run to God or does he run from God? He runs from God, doesn't he? 
He thinks he's all alone. But here's the beauty about God. God runs to him even though he's running away. God's the great initiator. That's what he does. And so in the text now, watch the text. Because now it says there, if you are in the valley, you need to learn to wait on the Lord before you evaluate your life. Look up before you look out, basically. And and then now you see in the text here, it says that we have to lean on the Lord when you feel alone. That's that's point two. You have to lean on the Lord when you feel alone. You say, how do I know? Look at look at what happens. Look at verses six through eight with me. In fact, look at five and then we'll read. And he lay down and slept under a what? Juniper tree. And behold, there was an angel touching him and he said to him, arise and eat. So Elijah is asleep, but God sends a messenger, an angel, to touch him, to enter into his experience and say to him, arise and eat. So then it says, verse 6, then he looked and behold, there was at his head a bread of cake or a cake bacon on hot coals or hot stones and a jar of water at his head. So he ate and drank and lay down again. The beauty of the text is it says that God does this not just once, but what? He does it twice. He does it twice because what God now is doing is God is helping him to see that I am going to enter into your life, meet you where you are in the midst of your despondency. And once I enter into your life, if you listen, you will not be the same as I walk you through this valley. Y'all hear what I'm saying? If you learn the lesson I'm trying to teach you through the valley, you will not be the same as I walk you through. But he says, but I need you to understand that you cannot handle this valley on your own. Because if you try to handle it on your own, not only are you going to feel broke, busted, and disgusted, you will be broke, busted, and disgusted. Do y'all see what I'm saying? So in the valley now, he, he's listening, and God says, I'm going to feed you. He gives him something to eat. Mm. He gives him something to drink. Mm. So he, he, he receives the sustenance of the Lord. The Lord says, I'm going to provide for you in the midst of the valley. And he says, I'm going to do this because I know you're running away, but I'm running to you. He says, I know you have given up, but I never give up. I never lose hope. And he says here to this man right here, this prophet named Elijah, I know you're on your way to Horeb, the Mount of God. How does God know? Because he's our mission, right? How does God know? Because he says the journey is too great for you. See that in the text? It's right there in verse 7 and 8. He says the journey's too great for you. I need to give you what you don't know you even need for yourself. See, college students, As a campus minister, sometimes here's what gets me sad and despondent. I see college students making decisions that I know they don't have to make. Because oftentimes we don't understand that you don't have to have scar tissues. Because your scar tissue will become your issue later in life. And let me break that thing down to you. If you spend time doing this and it contradicts what God says to do, God says, I am not mocked. Whatsoever a person sows, that shall they also. And he says, if you sow corruption, you will reap. If you sow life, you will reap. 
And so now we see a God who speaks to us and says, don't sow corruption in college because you will reap corruption in college. Sow life in college so that you will reap life in college. But here's what we do. We tell God he know what he's talking about. God, you, God, you don't know me. I've been around 20 years. <laughs> you trying to tell me something. You've been around since eternity. You think you got something on me? God, let me tell you how it's going to be while I'm in college. Y'all hear what I'm saying? And so as a campus minister, I often find myself despondent, depressed sometimes because I'm like, you don't have to go there. People are like, I'm alone. I'm like, you, you're alone because you want to be. I'm up here 50 hours a week. Happy to shoot some ball with you. Still got little skills. Not what it used to be, but I still cross you up. I catch you. you know, catch you on a bad day. Catch you on a bad day. And so, and so I'm like, no, you don't have to be alone. That's your desire. And that's at Kentucky State. Kentucky State. But I believe that that happens all over the state of Kentucky at different campuses and all over the nation. I know it does. I know campus ministers all over the nations in different groups. Not just Baptist campus ministry, but you name it. There's a group for you, amen? amen? And so you don't have to be alone. You have to lean on the Lord when you feel alone. Here's a principle. Here's why. Because God's loyalty is often overlooked. That's what's happening here. God hasn't forgotten him. He feels like he's overlooked, doesn't he? But God is right there. The second principle is this. Our loyalty doesn't always bring earthly rewards. Now that's the key. Now that's really serious in, in the 21st century. Our loyalty to God doesn't always bring earthly rewards. And that's tough. Because most of us want to be loyal to God because we take a Santa Claus mentality as it relates to God. I'll be loyal to you, God, if you give me this. But then when God fails to give it to us, we start questioning his loyalty. God, I'll be loyal to you, we say to God, if you ultimately do this in my life. If I don't see this in my life, then God, I question your loyalty. And that's a human response, all of us can be there at any moment. And this is why it's important for us to be in God's word and in solitude and prayer, listening to God. At verse 10 there, you see this principle right now. Uh, Elijah says, and he said, I have been very zealous. I've been loyal for the Lord, the God of hosts. In other words, Elijah is saying, I did what you told me to do. For the sons of Israel have forsaken thy covenant. He says, they haven't been loyal. They've torn down thy altars and killed thy prophets with the sword. And I alone am left. And they seek my life to take it away. In other words, Elijah is saying, God, I've done what you said. And now all my boys are dead. Now I alone am left. And this woman said, I'm going to be dead at the end of the night. I thought you had my back. That's right. That's right. This is what he's saying in the text. And he said, because I see you don't have my back, I would rather be dead. I don't even want to do this anymore. I want to throw in the towel because it's not worth it. That's what this prophet is saying, whose name means my God, Yahweh is God, the covenant-keeping God. And, and do you think if this can happen to a prophet, that it won't happen to you? 
If this can touch a prophet of God who's seen God literally raise the dead, do you think it will not touch you? Because if you believe that it will not touch you, be careful. Because that's that's point of arrogance. It can touch you. But the way that we fight against it is by believing what happened to this prophet so it doesn't have to become your lot. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yes, sir. See, that's a difference. If and then, if you don't do this, ultimately believe God is in control, then this will become your lot. But if you do this, believe that God is in control, then you can learn through the, through the midst of your valley. Yes, Are you hearing me? So we said, first of all, learn to wait on the Lord before you evaluate your life. Verse 4. We said, lean on the Lord when you feel alone. Why? Because God's loyalty is often overlooked. And our loyalty doesn't always bring earthly rewards. But then we also see in the text, in verses 11 through 18, it says, listen carefully when God speaks. See, this is really important now. Because most of us often think that God only speaks when there's a bunch of noise. Right. Oh, he didn't preach. <laughs> we didn't jump over the pews or the or the you know the sectional chairs. <laughs> that brother didn't have a word. And, and we often think that a person has not preached if if they just mess around and come and they do like this, y'all. They sit down, open up the scriptures. And say, you know what, this is what uh, this text means. What God is basically saying is that he's a covenant-keeping God. The covenant, basically, from the Hebrew word barit, what it means is that God cuts the covenant. It's as if he's cutting through something in order to get to you. But if they're sitting down, are they saying something? What if they say it like this? But God is a covenant-keeping. Oh, he said something then. Right, right. Y'all like, oh, he said something. Oh, same thing, said same thing, just a little voice intonation. <laughs> but, but in the text, now here's what's amazing, because if we have this mindset, y'all, don't get me wrong, I love a brother to holler or a sister, uh-oh. Yeah, I love a brother or a sister to holler and share something, you know? Y'all like, oh no, did he say sister? Uh, we, we won't get in there, Pastor, I hope I ain't stepped on. Pastor ain't coming, let me come back, Pastor. But the whole point is, you know, if someone's in a situation... And then they're speaking. What if God doesn't show up in the earthquake? Bunch of noise. But what if he doesn't show up in the whirlwind? Bunch of noise. But what if he doesn't show up in the firestorm? Bunch of noise. But what if he shows up at a whisper? What, what if he's decided to show up like that? I'm not saying he can't show up in a whirlwind because I saw him part of Red Sea or the Sea of Reeds. I'm not saying he can't show up in a fire because in chapter 18, fire came down, burnt the altar, and all the, the, Baal, the, the, Baal, the uh, worshipers of Baal were killed. That's right. That's I'm not saying he can't show up in an earthquake because Joshua said, choose ye this day whom you will serve. Will it be God or will it be man? And, and Moses came down from the mountain and saw them worshiping a golden calf, and an earthquake came and separated the people. I'm not saying that he cannot show up there. 
But sometimes we tend to think that's the only way he shows up. But he shows up in a whisper. The college is often not whispering. It's not high. In fact, if it ain't, if it ain't loud, or shall I say on and popping. Oh, Doc, that ain't on and popping. I ain't with that. Let's go, y'all. Oh, that's dead like I'm uh, That's just dead. They in there loving on people. No, I need something on and popping. But what if on and popping is a whisper? What, what if it's God just talking to you in, the, in your closet? And, and you learn to enjoy that closet because now that closet is sacred space. And you know that in order to deal with the problems of today or your valleys, you got to get to that closet because now you realize that the closet is your mountaintop. Not how people respond to you. Are y'all listening to me? This is what God was doing with me when I was reading this word. He was speaking through the spirit. And I said, okay, God, I get it. I get it. I get it. I see exactly what you're saying now. You say, I have to listen carefully when you're speaking. And then I said, like the servant, I said, like Nathan, I said to God, I said, speak, Lord. Like Samuel, speak, Lord, thy servant listens. And he said, here's what I need you to do. I need you to learn, Curtis, to enjoy silence and solitude. He says, Curtis, I need you to learn to know that I will show up when you least expect it. He says, I'll show up when you're not even looking for it. And let me show you how God showed up in my life. I was taking students to Philadelphia for a mission trip. I had to go to a Drexel University and give a lecture, right? And I was up there with these students in Lexington at Bluegrass getting ready to fly out. And there was a snowstorm. Froze my plane. My plane was frozen, and I saw a young uh, Anglo brother, a Caucasian brother, with a bunch of students getting ready to go to Jamaica. I started talking to him. Number one, I started talking to him. I had on some Adidas, Adidas sweatsuit, and a black Kango, and it was tilted. And so I walked to him, and I said, hey, what's up, man? How you doing? He said, oh, I'm good. He looked a little busy. I said, where are you on your way to? He said, oh, man, I'm, I'm getting ready for like a service project. I said, really, where are you going? And you could tell he didn't want to be bothered. He's like, uh, we're going to Jamaica. I said, oh, you're going to Jamaica? Hey, man, I've been to Jamaica. He said, it's not like that. You just clown me, right? He said, it's not like that. I said, oh, okay. What are y'all going for? He said, a mission trip. I said, oh, a mission trip. Oh, I get it. Okay, missions. Okay, what's that all about? And so he started explaining to me the theology of missions, the concept of missions. I thought, oh, okay, that's good, novel. And so then he explained to me missions, and and then he uh, started to say, and I said, yeah, I was in Jamaica too. He said, well, we're not going to like the to the resorts. I said, oh, okay. (laughs) At that point, I was finished talking to him, but the Holy Spirit wouldn't let me go. Holy Spirit said, keep talking to him. So I kept talking to him and I said, oh, really, uh, where, where are you going? He said, we're going to uh, Kingston. He said, you know, in the inner city of Kingston. And I said, wow, that's where I was. He said, really, what were you there for? I said, missions. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Yes, sir. He said, really? I said, yeah, one of my closest friends, Dr. Conway Edwards, is actually the head of the Center for Christian Leadership for the entire island. 
I said, and he used to be the pastoral assistant for Dr. Anthony T. Evans, and we both were there serving with Dr. Evans in missions and evangelism. And he was like, really? <laughs> because what he saw was the Kango and the Adidas, y'all. He thought I was supposed to show up in a whirlwind, in an earthquake. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. But it was a still small voice, and God was going to do a work in this young man's life. I didn't know what God was going to do. I was just trying to talk to him. And so we talked for a little bit, planes froze, and we had to go back home, and the next day we showed up. Here I am sitting on the plane getting ready to read my book. I had a nice book, too. <laughs> ready to read. You know, I had a long layover in, in Cleveland. I was like, oh, this is going to be great. Then we'll finally go up to New York, to LaGuardia, shoot down in Philly. So then I'm ready, and here he comes on the plane. I'm like, oh, Lord. <laughs> I'm just keeping it real. And so, and so here he was on the plane, and he comes to me. First thing he said was he asked his friend to move so he could sit by me. He said, I want to apologize to you. He said, because I never would have believed that you do the things that you do based upon what I saw. He said, and God has convicted me of that. I was in sin. It's powerful. I said, brother, you're forgiven, man. And I said, and that's a whole lot of integrity for you to have the courage to do that. And from, from Lexington to Cleveland to LaGuardia, I talked to him about a theology of missions, the Missio Dei and the Missio Dei Ad Gentis, which means the mission of God and the mission of God to the Gentiles. Amen. Then I recommended him some books, and he, he said, uh, so where are you in seminary? He said, I'm at Covenant. I said, Covenant in St. Louis, you need to hook up with Anthony Bradley. He's an associate of mine, and this brother probably can give you some insight as it relates to some of the things you're asking about. So he emails Bradley, CCs me, and then Bradley, he meets with Bradley on one occasion while he's at Covenant. Then he's asked me, he said, can we meet together once a month when I get back? I was like, oh. <laughs> I just wanted to talk to you on the plane. <laughs> Holy Spirit said, no, meet with him. I said, yeah, man, it, it, I got time, come meet with him. So he would meet with me once a month. We would meet and talk about missions, talk about these things, talk about racial reconciliation, because that's big on the church list. Amen? Amen? Really can't be a Christian and hate on people who created in God's image, right? Yeah. And so, so that's big on the church's list. So we would talk about this, and we talk and we talk at a whisper, face to face, just telling you how God showed up. And we would talk at a whisper face to face consistently. The next thing I know, he's quitting his church, going into bivocational ministry, and he comes to the BCM for a year and serves as my worship leader. I'm like, what? Driving way from on the other side of Lexington, little old Frankfurt, to be my worship leader, just doing a good job. You hear what I'm saying? And then the brother leaves his, his mega church, which is predominantly Caucasian, and then says, hey, Curtis, you know what? I want to join uh, Consolidated Baptist Church, Lexington, Richard Gaines, predominantly African-American. Notice I don't say white and black church. Y'all hear me? Because there's only one church. Amen. Amen. Don't, don't define the church by a color. And so that's a whole nother sermon. But so now here I am listening to this brother. Now he's a member, an associate minister at Consolidated Baptist Church with the aspiration of planning a mosaic fellowship in Lexington, Kentucky. All because God spoke at a whisper three years ago. And let me show you this because it's all coming full circle and we're going to take our seat. When I was like Elijah... And I was alone in the cave and God was speaking at a whisper. I felt alone. 
sad. Like I said, I opened up. I was there, despondent. God said, you better see Jimmy. And the reason why I saw that is because my wife hugged him at church one day. And I heard her say, thank you for loving my baby. And I was like, wow, she hugging on Jimmy saying thank you. And I said, you know what? God sent Jimmy for me. I'm thinking I'm helping him. That brother's helping me. Do y'all see what I'm saying? And so from that moment, in that moment in my life, I found myself beginning to come out of this despondency because I started to look up realizing that God shows up when I least expect it. And when he shows up, he does show up. It could be an earthquake. It, it can be, yeah. He, he could show up in a whirlwind, but he decided to show up in a whisper. And now I listen intently, waiting on the whisper. Hear me, college students. You're not alone. But if he shows up in a whisper, remember this prophetic word that he might be speaking to you then. Don't, don't define what's good by whether or not it's on and popping based upon the definition of the world. If he shows up in a whisper, you say, I want to get into this because, God, I want to grow and I want to know how to walk through this valley. But just in case you think you're the only one who's alone, I couldn't close this thing without talking to you about how God showed up. Because remember when you read it, it said that there were 7,000 whose knees had not what? Bowed unto Baal. Elijah was notified, no, you're not alone because I need you to raise up Hazel. I need you to raise up Jehu, political leaders, and I need you to raise up a new prophet. His name will be Elisha. And he will encourage you through your journey if you just trust me. But if you think that it's unbiblical to feel alone, I need you to understand that there was someone who was mightier than I, mightier than Elijah, who felt forsaken and abandoned. In fact, in his native tongue, which is Aramaic, he said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. He said, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This man was bruised ultimately for your and my iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes each and every one of us are healed. If you feel alone, I need you to see a person taking a whip to his back. And, and they're taking this whip that has metal pieces and bones in it. And with every slash, it ultimately rips flesh and bone. I think he felt alone at that point. If you feel alone, you need to understand that when he was laid to rest, there was not an army of people around him. In fact, all of his homeboys left him. And the only people who showed up was two sisters in the morning. Thank God for the sisters. And so this person who felt alone, ultimately we discovered, even though he felt alone, God was behind the scenes doing his best work. How do I know that's true? This is time to really see it. Isaiah 53, 10 says, and it pleased him to crush him. In other words, it pleased him, namely God the Father, to crush the Son. So whenever you see the Bible and it says that you feel alone, remember the son was crushed by his father so that you and I might have life. But I got good news for you because in John chapter 2, when Jesus was challenged, they said, destroy this temple and in three days I shall raise it up. John tells us he was talking about the temple of his body. That doesn't get you excited yet. Keep walking with me. As he's whipped and beaten and bruised and forsaken, his road dogs leave him. He feels like his father has lost him. It says that on the third day, this is when the preacher would get happy. He said he got up. 
from the grave. And that to me sounds like an earthquake. How do I know? Because they said that there was an earthquake in Jerusalem. And the temple was rent in half because the Son of God, who was never alone, his father said, now it's time to judge and to vindicate. The Spirit of God raised up the dead. They walked the streets and someone yelled out, this must be the Son of God. I got a question for you. Do you feel alone? Because you don't need to. Jesus is there in your situation to give you peace and to give you hope. All you got to do is trust him. He'll show up in a whisper. But you're never alone. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this time. Bless your people. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the senior leader. God, continue to bless them by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord, everybody.